Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast, powered by Kasoon Carr. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. This week, I'm honoured to be joined by the amazing Frank Ramos. Frank is an attorney, currently the managing partner of Clark Silverglade Law Firm, based in Miami. He's a certified mediator and practices in the areas of commercial litigation, class action, employment, product liability, and catastrophic personal injury. He's authored more than 10 books, 400 thought leadership articles, and hosts a conversation with podcast. And if that's not enough, he also posts original insights on LinkedIn every day, all whilst running a busy law firm. So a very big welcome, Frank, and nice to meet you. Nice meeting you. Thanks so much for having me. No, it's it's really, really, really honored to have you on the show. Um, we do have a icebreaker question that we ask all of our guests before we get into it, which you may or may not know, which is around suits. Um, so on the scale of one to 10, 10 being very real, how real would you rate the reality of the TV series Suits? <laughs> I'd probably put it around a four. I think uh, it has a lot of drama and suspense, and it actually does teach some fine points about communication and interpersonal relationships. But in terms of just the actual practice, I think it leaves something to be desired. Yeah, and I think that's a common theme, four out of 10. The last few guests have, have sort of given it a four. I think there's there used to be in the first couple of seasons a little bit more kind of closeness to the reality, but in the last few seasons, I think it's just gone very Hollywood. But um, listen, Frank, there's so many things we we need to get through uh, today because you do so much for the for the legal sector. Um, but I want to sort of start at the beginning, if I may. Tell us a bit more about sort of your background. Where were you born and raised? Sure, I was born in Chicago and moved down to Miami, where I live currently in the mid '80s, and I've been here ever since. I'm now 48, I think, <laughs> and married. We've been married about 26 years. We have two boys, 21 and 19. And uh, as we all are, we're dealing with the COVID-19 issues. So I've been working from home for a few weeks and maybe working from home a few more. And as you mentioned, I do litigation, commercial products, and employment. And in my spare time, I love to write and I love to be on social media and trying to provide some assistance to young lawyers. I was one of them a while back and trying, trying to pay it forward and uh, help them out as much as I can. Yeah, we're definitely going to go on to all of that later on because you do do a great deal around that. But in terms of your journey, did you always want to be a lawyer? Uh, no, actually, I wanted to be a writer and I wanted to get into politics. Uh, I came up in college uh, in the early 90s and uh, was, I believe, a junior when the 92 presidential election between George Herbert Walker Bush and Clinton came upon. And I found that, that whole thing very fascinating. And it was considering getting a degree in political management, which at the time was fairly novel. Today, most colleges have a course or a degree in political management. But back then in the early 90s, that was sort of uh, a nouveau sort of approach to, uh, to schooling. And uh, considered that, but then decided to stick with law school, went to uh, University of Miami here in Miami, and been practicing ever since. Been practicing just about 23 years now. Yeah, and tell us a bit about, talk us through your journey and experience prior to obviously your your current firm at, at, at sort of Clark Silverglade. So tell us a bit about your experiences before that. Uh, sure. Well, I uh, graduated in '97, and during my second and third year of law school, I clerked at a national civil defense firm called Hinshaw and Robertson, which was based out of Chicago. That was part of the draw for me because I was raised in Chicago, although I was going and working in Miami. 
and worked there for about a year. Uh, it, it was a big firm. I don't think I was really meant to work at a big firm. So I switched over to Clark Silverlake, which is a boutique litigation firm. There's, you know, it's, the sizes range between 10 to 15 lawyers over the years I've been there and found it to be a much better fit for me. And so I've been there ever since. And, you know, you've done so successfully well, and you're, you're currently the managing partner, um, you know, at the firm. What does that role entail for you? Uh, well, in addition to working on my own caseload, I try to help the firm however I can in terms of HR, in terms of leadership, in terms of dealing with some, a lot of the administrative issues that firms uh, have to deal with. You know, I think most lawyers aren't trained on how to run a business. So I've had to learn how to do that as well in my current position. And I think that's actually as much or more fun than the practice law. Some people don't enjoy it, but but I do. And I think it certainly helps you become a more well-rounded person. And I think by learning how to run a business, you're much better at representing clients who run their own businesses. Yeah, no, well said. And you're, um, you are AV rated and listed in the best lawyers in America for defense work in product liability matters. I mean, how do you do it? You know, it's just a question of just doing it day after day, month after month and year after year. It's just uh, putting in the work. Um, I think each of us have the ability and the wherewithal to achieve a certain level of status and reputation in whatever practice area we're involved in. And it's just a question of being consistent and being persistent. Yeah, absolutely. And I love your firm's mission, which is for your lawyers to be leaders and mentors. And I just really, really love that. And you, um, I think you've been the president and involved in so many associations and societies, too many to list. But tell us about some of them and your, your involvement. Sure. Uh, over the years, I've been involved in various voluntary bar associations here, both in Miami, Florida, and nationwide, and also have volunteered on various boards for nonprofits. Uh, one of them was Parents of Parent in Miami, which helps parents with special needs children. Uh, I've served on the board and continue to serve on the board of my boys' high school. Uh, they've since graduated, but that's Florida Christian and served on the board of various uh, alumni associations at both FIU and University of Miami. And I think those opportunities uh, help us grow as lawyers because not only do we uh, develop relationships that may lead to business referrals, but it also helps in the sense that you develop certain communication, leadership, and management skills that bode well in terms of handling your own caseload and leading the law firm. So uh, I've been blessed in the sense that not only I've been able to uh, deal with some great people on some great issues, but I've also learned a lot from them along the way. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we, we touched on it earlier, but you, you serve as a mentor to countless young lawyers, law students through your publications, so, social media posts, presentations, webinars, coffee chats. You know, let, I want to go back a step first. What inspired you so much to want to give back? And tell us more about that. You know, back, I want to say in around 2001, I had been practicing this about four years then. And I was going through a period where I was kind of questioning my own skill set. I was going through my own period of imposter syndrome, which is pretty common on many yarn lawyers, respective of the practice or background. And so I started sitting down and just writing what I knew about the practice, what I had learned, and basically started writing a series of how-to articles and how to argue motions, how to draft motions, on writing, you name it. And it was really more for me than anybody else, but I started getting those articles published in various legal publications and periodicals and never really looked back. Uh, since 2001, there's been periods of high productivity and low productivity in terms of my writing, but I've always returned there. And 
even though it's meant to help others, it's primarily done for very selfish reasons. I kind of sit down and I think through uh, my own processes. I believe that everything we do as lawyers, uh, to some degree, can be reduced to a process or set of steps or checklists. And I try to take whatever skill set or opportunity or action I have to take and figure out how do I get from here to there? What are the steps or the checklists I need to follow to ensure that I'm doing that task as well as I can do it? And that process has served me well during my career. And each time I do that, I try to share it with others. Now, I'm not, it's not perfect. Uh, you know, my process is my own. Uh, and others may disagree with some of the steps I recommend or may want to augment or reduce some of them. But I think it's a great process for each of us to participate in, no matter where we are in our careers, to sort of sit down and evaluate for ourselves where we've come and where we're going and figure out for ourselves, you know, what are the steps we need to take to you know, take a better deposition or to try a case or do cross-examination or to develop relationships to lead to business. Everything we do in our careers, whether it's law or anything else, um, there's a process oriented. And I think when I was coming up back in the early 2000s and late 1990s, there wasn't much there. Uh, you know, the internet was still sort of in its infancy. Uh, publications were still mostly... Uh, dealing with case summaries and case evaluations. There wasn't much how-to stuff out there. And that's changed a lot in the last 20-some years. Uh, and so I felt that there was a need, and I still think that there is, in terms of just learning the practice. So many of us need mentors, but we don't have them readily available. And therefore, writing uh, allows us to provide you know those uh, opportunities and provide that information to people who need it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And just sort of breaking a few things down then, tell us more about the, your development of the deposition boot camp and the art of marketing program for young lawyers. Sure. Like everything I do with regards to deposition boot camp, which I had a lot of help with and worked together closely with other members of the Federation Defense and Corporate Council, which is sort of a national organization of civil defense lawyers. I was at a point in my career, and this was back, I guess, in 2012 and 13 where I'd been practicing a while and felt like I was pretty effective at depositions, but I really wanted to take that to the next level. So very selfishly, I wanted to put together a program of all our members who I considered to be, and by reputation that preceded them, were very effective at taking depositions. And so we put together a program and a book, a deposition manual, which was published by the FDCC, where we uh, created a how-to on the soup to nuts, ABCs of taking depositions and defending depositions. And I was very fortunate and blessed to be able to travel around the country. And I think I, we headed up five or six of these programs where we had about a half dozen or more faculty in each of these programs. And we had young lawyers from around the country participate in you know, dry runs and actual uh, sitting down in a room and speaking with actual witnesses. And we had actual court reporters and videographers. And the whole experience was a lot of fun. And I learned a lot. I think I learned as much or more than any of the participants. And again, with everything I do, I do it in very, I hate to say it, but very selfishly. I want to become the best deposition taker so I get all the best folks I know to basically teach me as they're teaching others about deposition. Art of marketing was very similar. That was the uh, brainchild of a past president of the FDCC, Miles Gallivan. And his idea was that marketing can be taught. You know, in terms of business development can be taught. Building relationships that lead to business referrals can be taught. And so he asked me and some other members to put together a program. And under his tutelage and uh, 
supervision. We put together a program. We also wrote a book called Attorney Marketing 101, which is free. To digress just a moment, if people want to access my books, most of them are free. They're basically PDFs. If you visit my profile on LinkedIn under Frank Ramos and scroll down under my profile to this point of publications, you'll find that there's probably a dozen or so of them that are free, one of which is Attorney Marketing 101, which is sort of everything uh, that one can think of in terms of how a, a lawyer and a law firm can market their practice. So Art of Marketing was an opportunity to teach uh, youngish lawyers, uh, lawyers have been out you know, between 6 and 10 years, how to develop a book or business. And that was sort of the guide. And again, purely selfish. I wanted to learn from the best. I wanted to learn from all the rainmakers in our, in our organization. And so I got to handpick with the other members of the committee the members who knew how to develop business and learn from them directly. We put on a couple of those seminars. We'll be putting on some more. Uh, as you can appreciate right now, things are kind of at a standstill uh, conference-wise because of COVID-19. But we hope that once things uh, return to the new normal, we'll be able to put on some more of those seminars as well. Yeah, definitely. And I, I definitely agree. Like some of the some of the books, I mean, we can't mention them all, but there's some really good content in there. You know, be your own life coach, go motivate yourself. I think a lot of those are very hard hitting now as well, particularly at times like this. So I would encourage people to to check them out and obviously visit your your LinkedIn page as well. And you touched on COVID-19 and that kind of lends itself nicely to my next question. And I know you don't have the magic ball, but you know, what tips would you give to young and indeed sort of of all lawyers, um, you know, pre-COVID-19, during COVID-19, and fingers crossed when all said and done, post-COVID-19, you know, what, what, what can we learn from all of this? You know, I think now this is a sort of new reality for many of us here in Miami. Uh, we are now taking depositions remotely via Zoom, just like the platform you're using now. Uh, I've attended two mediations in the last week, one of which settled and one uh, did not, but it's close to settling. We'll probably settle by the end of the week. Hearings are being conducted via Zoom, and this is just sort of the new world, the new reality. How much longer we'll be in sort of this lockdown mode, I'm not sure. But what happens with anything is that once you get accustomed to doing something, it's hard to go back. You know, just a few weeks ago, all this was very foreign to us. Zoom was a very foreign platform to most of us. Uh, attending mediation, deposition, or hearing from your own home, whether it's in your kitchen, which is where I'm at now or your living room, your bedroom, that was all very unusual. Uh, it, more and more, it's becoming pretty commonplace. And I'm wondering, at what point do, does this all become a habit for us, where clients, where judges, where parties realize maybe it's better, at least in some circumstances, to do things remotely. Maybe it's better to spend some time at home and spend less time traveling uh, from your car or from your train or, or subway into work and back. Maybe it's better to spend more time at home with one's family and have a schedule where you have more control over it than simply going into the office and spending 10, 12, 14 hours there for whatever reason. So I, I suspect what's going to happen uh, socially is that we're going to get accustomed to new practices. And as we're all home now, we're spending more time uh, remotely working on whatever we're working on. I think this is a good time to learn how to develop social networking skills and opportunities to meet and greet and develop relationships online. We're not going to be going, we're not going to be traveling. And so if we didn't learn to do that, uh, once things return relatively to normal, uh, that we'll have a certain new skill set that we'll be able to implement in our practices. 
And that's something I'm seeing sort of sector wide, really, and trying to see people um, bring out is, you know, there's a big thing now, obviously, on everyone having personal branding. And then also as an extension of that reputation, which, you know, personal brand is great, but there's also the reputation piece of sort of, you know, that's who knows you and rates you. And that's going to be my next question. You know, we're very much in a content fueled society nowadays that, you know, talk us through your process of generating and capturing great ideas for your content. Yeah, my, my content and my, I guess, brand, if you want to define me with a brand, is I try to provide guidance and assistance to young lawyers. Uh, a lot of the advice I give probably applies equally to more experienced lawyers as myself, but my focus is on young lawyers. And I write on the practice, pre-litigation and trial skills, business development, leadership management, and a lot of motivational and inspirational topics. And my net is cast so broad that I'm able to come up with a lot of things to talk about and write about. And for those who are interested in pursuing sort of a life online and having a brand online, and developing a following and a platform online, you kind of have to start with what you want to write about and what you want to talk about. You have to come up with a broad topic that's going to generate and create and foster ideas for the weeks, months, and years ahead. Uh, one area, obviously, would be to focus on whatever practice area you do. Uh, if you do cybersecurity, you can probably write on cybersecurity for quite some time. It's such a large topic. If you do products liability, you can certainly do that. If you do family law, you know, that certainly lends itself to lots of topics and writings. And you know, just as I write, I follow a lot of people on LinkedIn. I find that what folks do who write and post regularly is that they do find either a topic or a practice area and then post on it regularly and become uh, and create a following among others where others see them as an expert in that field. And it becomes sort of a self-perpetuating uh, prophecy where people just see yourself as somebody who is an expert in family law or trust in the states or whatever area it may be, international arbitration. And when they have a question on that topic, when they have a case in that area, you get a call or an email or a message from them. So it's a long-term investment that takes weeks, months, years to develop that online presence. Uh, but it isn't as much work as it is just having uh, the focus and the continuity of doing it. You know, on a day-to-day -day basis, it doesn't take much time. It's just being committed to doing it over a long period of time. And that's the key point. And you know what? You know, as we move through business, it's 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 not going to be a nice to have. It's going to be an essential. I think you need to have, um, you know, be getting producing content, adding value to, like you say, your social networks now. Because if this becomes a new normal, you can't afford to just not be present. As long as you're putting in and find a niche. And the other thing is. You've just got to start, right? You start and you can learn and you can kind of try and improve step by step because some people may not have that initial confidence. Um, but I think if you just make that leap, then, you know, it's a, it's a step forward. And you touched on it there around um, fitting content into um, your schedule. But, you know, you, you are a managing partner. You're a busy, busy guy. You know, how, how, how do you fit it in? Do you sort of draft in the mornings or do you sort of have, uh, do you make side notes and then sort of have a selection? How do you, how do you fit it into your schedule? You know, it's, it's, it's based on where I was in the journey of social media. At the beginning, I was much more conscious of when to do it and how to do it. And at some point, it becomes very second nature and ideas just sort of come to you. And now it's just whenever a thought comes to mind, I'll just type it on my phone. I have LinkedIn app on my phone and I generally interact with LinkedIn on my phone as opposed to my desktop or, or laptop. But my recommendation is if you're just starting out to 
uh, set aside maybe 10 minutes a day, preferably the same 10 minutes each day, and just kind of think about something. It doesn't take long. Remember that uh, the LinkedIn posts, I think, are limited to 1,300, maybe 1,400 characters. People don't have much time to read. You're either maybe sharing an article or a case or a regulation you come across, or you're just sharing a thought you had in whatever practice area, whatever topic you're focusing on. And on a given day, if you're practicing that area, you're probably having lots of random thoughts about it. And you just try to pick out one or two. You may want to walk around and have a little journal in your pocket or your purse, or you may want to use the note application on your phone and jot down the idea. And whenever you have the time, whether you're standing in line or at a supermarket or you're waiting for a hearing or a deposition, again, it's just a question of getting into the habit of capturing your ideas and your thoughts putting them down, reducing them to writing, and then sharing them with others. It's a little unusual at first. It's uh, not natural at first, but I would say within a few weeks, like anything else, like the habits we're forming now in isolation and in quarantine, uh, it becomes very second nature. Yeah. And how much do you value the LinkedIn platforms? Everyone's talking about LinkedIn right now. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big advocate of it. But how much do you value the LinkedIn platform as a, as, as a lawyer and just generally as a business person? No, I really enjoy it. I find that I learn a lot from others who post, especially since COVID-19 uh, sort of affected all of us to learn from others in terms of how to respond to it, deal with it, working remotely um, in the US, there are certain opportunities for small businesses. So there's lots of opportunities for interaction. And there's lots of opportunities to speak with individuals and take a lot of those relationships offline through texting or calls or Zoom calls or messaging. So it's, it's LinkedIn is what you make of it. And the more time you invest in it, the more you get out of it, just like anything else, whether it's working out or dieting or getting involved in the Voluntary Bar Association. You get what you give and you get out of it what you invest into it. So my recommendation for anybody just starting on the platform is to really explore it. Uh, and it's actually easier to explore on a PC or on a Mac than it is on your phone because it's just, it's just easier to see. And eventually, you can kind of switch off and using, using the phone app. But I would just suggest you kind of click on everything, look at everything, look at the groups, look at uh, people's profiles, look at what they're sharing, look at the content. Uh, you know, spend some time and just explore platforms. There's a lot that it offers that isn't obvious at first glimpse. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, you you've made it right the way up the food chain in the in, in the legal world. What tips would you give to lawyers with aspirations of wanting to make partner and indeed managing partner one day? One thing is to try to figure out what areas you really enjoy and what niche you want to develop. Because eventually, we can't all be generalists. There are some people who do and are generalists, but I think more and more that's becoming the exception. More and more clients want the best person in a given geographic region, in a given practice area. So if you can find what you really enjoy and have sort of a, a niche for it, again, it could be cybersecurity, trust in the states, could be international arbitration. If you can find sort of a narrow area, maybe alcoholic beverage licensing, I have a friend who does that, and then learn everything there is in that area. And obviously the more narrow the niche, the easier it is to sort of become an expert. It. So there's less to learn. Uh, conversely, it's a little bit more problematic and a little bit more uh, bigger of a risk because obviously you're only working on that field and if that field kind of goes sideways, that's a problem. So uh, there are pros and cons to specializing and developing a niche. But that's what I recommend. Trying to figure out what really speaks to you, what motivates you, what inspires you. 
learning everything there is in that area and then pursuing it wholeheartedly and developing a reputation and expertise that others come and see you and uh, associate you with that area in your geographic region. Yeah. And there's undoubtedly lots of good lawyers in the world. But in your opinion, what makes a great lawyer? I think just curiosity. I think somebody who really likes the area that they're practicing in and spends a lot of time reading about it and studying it. And it doesn't have to be limited to just the law. You know, if you're working on a type of case and maybe it has certain media implications or it's seen a lot of coverage, maybe you go out and you read the books or the articles or the blogs um, and you go beyond just the direct skill sets that you need. You know, for lawyers, we need to be good communicators, good speakers, good writers. And there's lots of opportunities to develop those skill sets outside of the practice, you know, in terms of speaking. Uh, there's Toastmasters, there's improv classes for writing, there's lots of books, there's online classes. You can go back and take a grammar or writing composition class to develop or improve your writing skills. So it's always kind of thinking outside the box, looking beyond the four corners and figuring out how else you can develop skills that you're going to need to really be most effective in the practice area you're pursuing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And culture is a big thing that we talk about in, in, in law firms, even more so in the modern day. What do you believe law firms can do to increase their sort of collegiate cultures? I think developing an effective mentoring program where you're very conscious of the needs of your younger lawyers and even your staff and your paralegals and assigning you know mentors and developing mentoring relationships between more senior and less senior lawyers. I think that's very, very important. Yeah. And again, you talked a little bit earlier about all of the societies you've been involved in and associations. But again, in your opinion, what do you think, because lots of people are maybe looking at trying to start them or get involved in them. What do you think makes a really good, powerful and meaningful society? You know, it's just trying to figure out and pursue what's really, it really has to start with you. You have to figure out what you're passionate about, what motivates you, what interests you? Because this is a long path we're all involved in. You know, we're talking something, a career that's going to last several decades. And it isn't one where, you know, it's not like a professional sports or something else where you're going to do it for a few years and retire. You know, most of us are going to become lawyers in our mid to late 20s and not retire to our mid to late 60s. And so that's a long, long journey. So you really have to find something that you enjoy in the legal sector and legal field. And then find a firm or a company that's committed to developing you. And sometimes for some of us, it may take a few firms to find that home that we want to call our, our forever home. And for some of us, we're lucky to find it very early on in our careers. But if you're one of those struggling and you haven't found the right place, the right uh, location for you, you know, continue. Just keep at it. I, I know attorneys that uh, went, from, went to several firms over a period, very short period of time and ultimately found their place. Either they started their own firm, they went in-house, they found another firm. Uh, and some of them, you know, you know, again, I've been in my firm for a number of years. I, I was fortunate in that respect. But each of us has our own journey and each of us has to figure that out on our, on our own. Yeah. And, you know, as, as, as busy lawyers, how do you fit in, you know, extracurricular or, you know, what do you do for downtimes in terms of a, talk us through a typical day for you? A typical day now, COVID-19 is, is a bit different than it was just a few months ago. But going back before we were all self-isolating, I get into work 
and, you know, pretty early. Um, and then during the day, I'd make time to deal with sort of extracurricular activities, whether they were voluntary bar associations or finding time to meet with young lawyers and meet up for coffee. And it's just calendaring and finding time is so important. It's just putting things down in your calendar and making time for it. If you don't, if you don't make time for it, it's not going to happen. And so often we, each of us have, have plans and ideas and things we want to pursue. And it's sort of on the back burner. And as long as it's on the back burner, it's going to remain there. It's until we actually put it down in our calendar, it could be during a weekday or the evening or on the weekends, it typically doesn't happen. So I know for some of us, we, uh, we, we don't like to put everything on our calendar. We want to have a lot more free time, but that's probably the most effective thing. Uh, if there's something you really want to do, put it on your calendar and make time for it. And if you're, and when, the, when it comes up in your calendar and you keep ignoring or pushing to the side, you have to be honest with yourself and say, do you really want to do that extracurricular activity or not? Because I think the things we're really passionate about, we find time for. And the things we are not particularly passionate about, we kind of push aside. So for example, I like to write and I like to write books. Uh, I talk to a lot of people who want to write books. And I think the easiest way to write a book is to commit to a word count each day and say, I'm going to write X number of words each day, 500, 1,000, 1,500, whatever it may be. And for those who don't do it, I, I, I wonder if they're really that committed to writing a book. And that's fine. They may not want to write a book. Uh, you know, I know people who've been talking about writing a book 10, 15, 20 years. And maybe they're better off doing something else. Uh, you know, there's lots of things I don't pursue. I don't pursue painting or taking photographs or golf or traveling. Um, My sources people... tell me, though, Frank, that you're into your jazz and you're an amateur movie critic. Is this correct? Uh, yeah, my, both my boys play uh, music. My older one uh, is attending Florida State. He's a senior to be a classical conductor. My younger one is a freshman at University of Miami where he's a jazz musician. And uh, I, they do not get it for me, that's for sure. But they are both <laughs> very uh, trained and very talented in their respective areas. And early on, we exposed them to a lot of jazz and classical music. And that's sort of... Uh, remained uh, a thing we do. And in terms of movies, we've, as a family, we've always watched a lot of movies together. And uh, we're terrible to watch a movie with because the minute the movie starts, we're trying to figure out how it ends and come up with the lines and various actors and trying to figure out the plot structure. So uh, maybe it's just part of the analytics of being a lawyer, but that's kind of what we do. Uh, yeah, watching movies with us is not very fun. Let's put it that way. Again, as we look to wrap up, Frank, it's probably a million dollar question, but in terms of what do you think will be one of the, the biggest changes to the legal sector as a result of COVID-19? I think first, we're going to have a much smaller footprint in, in the real estate sector. I think a lot of law firms are realize that they can work remotely. Yeah, if they can work remotely, they don't need to have huge offices and huge conference rooms. And people can share offices, they can share space, they can share offices and space. Uh, suddenly that office that had X number of square feet can now have Y square feet. And looking forward, they can reduce their overhead. You know, rentals and leases are a big part of any law firm. I think a lot of law firms have realized that working from home wasn't so bad. There are a lot of more senior lawyers who went into this kicking and screaming and dragging their feet and hated the idea of working remotely. And I can't tell you how many senior lawyers called me or texted me or emailed me saying that this was going to be the end of their law firms and their culture. And those very same lawyers now, you know, four, six, eight weeks into this, are realizing it's not so bad that it can be done. That yes, we do need to have a culture where we see each other in person, that we meet each other, and that's fine. But you can have a happy medium where 
people can work from home, you know, one or more days a week. People can, you know, talk to each other over the phone, don't have to be uh, at back and call at the office. And I think, especially with younger lawyers and, you know, the millennials among us, uh, they like to work from home. They like that flexibility. They like uh, being able to work on their laptop or their desktop at home. And, um, and yes, so there is, I think, certain things that have been, uh, certain tensions that have been brewing for a while in terms of working remotely, in terms of uh, smaller spaces, in terms of kind of pushing out these uh, these old traditional ideas, new, more modern ideas. COVID-19 has sort of brought up to the forefront, including technology, obviously, you know, uh, yeah. technology coming much more uh, at the forefront now through because of COVID-19. So it's all very tragic. Uh, a lot of life loss, a lot of issues, a lot of people losing their jobs and no one would ever want this. But if there's a silver lining in any of this, it's that it's forcing the legal field to become much more technologically savvy and sort of catch up with the rest of commerce and industry. And that's something I'm immensely sort of passionate about as well, is sort of trying to shift the the perspective and getting the legal sector sort of at the forefront with the other sectors. So, so Frank, it's been a it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. If people have been as inspired as I have, and I'm sure they will be listening into to your episode today, if they want to follow or get in touch, I know you're very big on giving back. Is how how, how are they best to do that? Sure. If you want to follow me on LinkedIn, I think I've tapped out of connections, but you're welcome to follow me. And, and on LinkedIn, you can find my email address, and my contact information. You're welcome to email me or contact me. All that's on our website at Clark Silverly. You can find all that as well. And you're welcome to download my books. They're free. They're directed to lawyers on leadership, public speaking. Getting, my last one is getting published. So that's going to be being released in a couple of weeks and how lawyers can get published. Uh, I'm doing one. Uh, I did one on LinkedIn, uh, specifically LinkedIn for lawyers, which lawyers may find help for relevant. So uh, I'm available. Uh, I'm easy to find. Uh, I'm almost always open to communicating. If you message me, I can send you my cell phone number. We can talk about whatever you want to talk about. That's great. Thanks so much. It's been a real pleasure having you on, as I said, Frank. Um, I'm sure we'll see you again in not too distant future on the Legally Speaking podcast as well. I should have mentioned you also host your own fabulous podcast, but you know we could go on and on. But it, seriously, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much, Frank, and you stay safe. Thank you so much for the opportunity, and, and it's been a huge pleasure.